Peter, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Abby. Y'all have already heard it, but welcome to Oxano. We're so glad you're here. Our scripture reading tonight is going to be from Luke 5, 1 through 11, so feel free to flip there and follow along in your copy of God's Word. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out in them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he, he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and y'all will say, thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everybody. Joel, join me in a quick word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for your word. I'm grateful for everyone that's come tonight to Oxana. I pray, Lord, that um, you'd use this time to, uh, to sharpen us, to uh, grow a love for your word in our hearts. Um, and God, uh, just reveal to us as uh, we, we walk through this text, um, God, how you'd have us respond in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you all so much for being with us tonight. My name is Jacob Pierce, and I am the minister to young adults here at Dawson. Uh, super thrilled to have the opportunity to, to be a part of Oxano. If you were here last week, just have an opportunity to express my gratitude to this team for welcoming me in. I'm, I'm a newbie. I've uh, been on the job for four months, and so this is my first round of, uh, of Oxano. So last week was my first week. So um, super thrilled, week two, to be uh, standing up in front of you preaching tonight. So um, if you'll go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 5, that's where we're going to be tonight. I think we, we just had a reading from there, so um, you might already be there. So uh, if you guys have picked it up yet, we are going through a series on the Apostle Peter. And the Apostle Peter is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he just has these really dramatic highs and lows. Right? I don't know if you're ever in a group setting and uh, you do a high-low uh, Peter would have the most dramatic highs and lows in, in sharing things about his life. And so uh, the, the subtitle of our series is Episodes of Doubt and Devotion. And tonight we're going to dive into Peter's call, right? That, that Jesus calls Peter to a life of catching men, as we've already, we've already read. And um, so tonight our, our message and our application is going to be very heavily centered on calling and vocation, all right? For college students, you're probably thinking, you know, I came to Oxano to not think about what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, all right? That, that question has already given me enough anxiety, 
okay? So I came to, to Exano to not think about that. For those of you that uh, had a hard day of work today and you're joining us, uh, first off, thank you for being with us. Uh, secondly, uh, I believe, I believe in my heart of hearts that this text um, and this story in Peter's life has something to encourage us, to bring us comfort, right? For the glory of God and for our good in our lives. So let's go to uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. In other places in Scripture, you'll see this referred to as the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So a little context for this passage. This is Jesus kicking off his first preaching ministry and uh, Galilean preaching ministry. And if you'll notice, Luke is a very detailed gospel writer, but he omits what Jesus preached on. Wouldn't you like to know what Jesus preached on this day? He, he leaves that detail out because I think that this story is about a crucial dialogue that happens between Jesus and Peter more than it is on uh, the, the backdrop of the ministry that Jesus is doing at this time. Because a lot of other narrative accounts in Luke, uh, are, they, they tell us exactly what Jesus says. All right, But this story uh, leaves that crucial detail out. Uh, it did say that the crowd was very eager to hear the word of God, that they were pressing in on him, uh, that what Jesus was telling them they were spiritually hungry for. Uh, but, but again... Uh, Luke leaves this out because you've got Simon, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew uh, behind Jesus wrapping up a frustrating night of fishing, and they're not hard, hardly paying attention to what Jesus is saying to this crowd that's eager to hear the word of God, right? They are very disengaged from what's going on, the ministry that Jesus is doing. And so um, I would say at this point, Peter was acquainted with Jesus, right? In other parts of the Gospels, we see that Peter's mother-in-law was healed of her fever from Jesus, uh, and then uh, Jesus has a, a dialogue with his brother Andrew, and, and uh, they, they, they're acquainted, but I would say that, that Peter is not yet a follower of Jesus. So maybe that applies to some of us in the room tonight. Maybe um, you're, you're acquainted with who Jesus is. Maybe uh, you even grew up in church hearing stories about Jesus, but in terms of like being a follower of Jesus, if you were just really brutally honest with yourself at this moment, you would say, maybe I'm, I'm not following Jesus in my life. And I don't say that to, for anybody to cast doubt or anything like that, but um, I, I want to invite you into a greater level of devotion, no matter where you're at in your walk with Jesus tonight, Okay. And, and we're going to see that play out in Peter's life. Because really, uh, more so than anybody in the Gospels, I think that Peter jumps out as this person on the page of like, man, I can relate to him, right? I can relate to these moments of, of a spiritual high where I'm committed to Jesus more than anything else. And, and I can relate to these moments where um, it is overshadowed by doubt, uh, that the trials of life and the circumstances um, have, have made me almost want to walk away from my faith. Right? And so this is what we see from the life of Peter. And then um, kind of a, a, a somewhat, somewhat of a clarification here. Uh, Simon Peter is, is his name referred to in Scripture. Uh, he's actually referred to by three different names. Um, Simon is, from, uh, is the Greek from the Hebrew, Simeon. So we know of the Old Testament, uh, Simeon. Uh, it's, a, it's a good Jewish name. 
very common in the New Testament. Uh, and then Peter is actually a name that Jesus gives to him, right? It is a given name from Jesus later. Uh, and I'll, I'll save uh, that, that sermon for when, when Blake shares next week. But uh, that word means rock or rocky. Uh, and we also see it referred to in the Aramaic as Cephas, all right? And so um, if you see all of these names floating around the New Testament, know that it is referring to the same person, all right? And then Luke does something really interesting in this passage in referring to him. So we're going to unpack that too. Moving on to verse 4 through 5, it says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. We have toiled all night. Notice he, he didn't say, um, we've labored or we've worked. He said, we've toiled, right? Peter's problem with work is also our problem with work. His problem with work is our problem with work. It is a universal problem to every human being on the face of the earth that we have departed from what the ideal is for work, that we have toiled in labor. In Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, God promises to Adam and Eve that their work will be toilsome, that there will be thorns and thistles, right? That the ground is cursed. So the curse of sin and the stain of sin on this world has caused our work to be toilsome, that there is no path of least resistance when it comes to work, that everything will be difficult, right? That it won't be easy. A lot of you can, can relate to that sentiment, um, the unfruitful exhausting hours that you spend on something that doesn't turn out the way that you want it to. The effort that you have to put in in order to accomplish just the most minute things and motivating yourself to do that, right? You know, uh, I believe just more so in, in our culture, it's just becoming pervasive and uh, is this existential dread that's attached to work, right? You, uh, on, on Sunday evenings, uh, we have uh, what, what's referred to as the Sunday scaries, Anybody, anybody ever get the Sunday scaries? You get that just pit of anxiety in your stomach of like, here we go. Here's another week of class. Here's another week of work. It wasn't intended to be this way. Work was a pre-fall institution. Work is something that God does. Work is something that he invites us in to do to, in, as his image bearers. That we get to participate in worshiping God through the giftings that he's given us, and we call this work. And so if you want a very exhaustive theology of work, we have a, a, a book at the bookstall. Unfortunately, we have one copy left. We've, uh, we've promised to order more for next week. But uh, as Pastor David preached on Labor Day Sunday, he gave us a very comprehensive theology of work and referred to Tim Keller's work, Every Good Endeavor, as the standard bearer for the theology of work. So I invite you to, to read this book. I've, I've found this to be a really helpful resource. Um, we're going to kind of depart from the theology of work piece of this for the rest of the evening. But if you want to dive deeper, I encourage you to, to pick up this book from the, the bookstall. Either uh, if, if you run over there and grab the last copy this week, or if uh, you are patient and wait till next week and come back, uh, we'll have more copies, I promise. So um, our work has detached from the ideal, as, as I mentioned, and um, we do not experience work in the way that is according to God's perfect design. So back to our narrative here. It says that they had toiled all night, that there was a bone-level weariness 
that these fishermen had, had experienced, and they didn't pull any fish in their nets. Um, I don't know, you know, maybe some of you have pulled an all-nighter because you procrastinated studying for an exam. Uh, maybe some of you have had to pull a night shift, and you know how exhausting that is, right? The, the, probably the most exhausted I've ever been in my life was actually not in my adult life. It was when I was 11 years old, and my, our parents somehow uh, gave my friend Alex and I the freedom to plan his birthday party, okay? And uh, we decided we were going to do a camp out, and then we were going to hike the creek because uh, we had somehow discerned that the creek that ran behind his house was the same creek that we would go and, and walk in in the park. And they somehow connected. So we wanted to figure out how that, how that worked, right? And so we had planned out this camp out, and then we're going to walk the creek. So we prepared really well that night. We got our tent set up, and we didn't sleep for a single second. We stayed up the entire night doing stuff in the woods. We, we went on a snipe hunt. Uh, for those of you who've never experienced that before, um, you should. Um, and uh, we were just, you know, up to no good. And then we, the next morning, we, uh, when the sun came up, I, I can't say that we woke up because we stayed up the entire night, we were going to walk the creek. Mind you, this was in the middle of February in Alabama. So pretty balmy time to be in the creek. Right? Like, like I said, I can't believe that our parents let us do this. So that Christmas, I had gotten a set of chess waders. Um, chess waders is like redneck scuba gear. Okay? Uh, it is, for those of you that don't know, it's like overalls that uh, are camouflaged and waterproof. And why I had a set, I don't know. Uh, other than that's just what I wanted for Christmas that year. I didn't go fishing or anything like that, but I was like, you know what? I can finally put these to use. I was super excited. I was prepared. All my buddies were uh, about to get really cold when they stepped in the water, but not me. So we step in the creek, and they're, <laughs> you know, they're cold. I'm feeling great. I'm, I'm warm in my, in my uh, chest waders. The direction that we needed to go to get to the park was upstream. We had not planned very well, and we had about two miles to go upstream. So in my chest waders, I'm ready to go. Take one step, two step, third step, I find a big rock on the bottom. And I fall face first into the creek, and water floods into my chest waders. And all of a sudden, I go from weighing like 70 pounds to like 140 pounds. And I'm soaking wet and freezing, and my plan has just gone awry. Okay? And so I walk the rest of the way, uh, heavier than everybody else, probably colder than everybody else, and just uh, physically and mentally exhausted by, we, by the time we got to our dads who were waiting for us at the park. I got in the back of my dad's truck. I fell fast asleep uh, sitting up in the back of the truck all the way home, got out, got dry, ate dinner, and slept for 15 straight hours. That is the longest continuous time I've ever slept in my life. I've never been that exhausted. And so when we, when we talk about fishing all night, we can just establish how exhausted they must have been doing uh, toilsome labor all night fishing. Another detail that I wanted to point out is that it says Jesus commands him to put out into the deep. 
So the Sea of Galilee, or Lake Gennesaret as it's referred to in this passage, is one of the deepest freshwater lakes in the world. It sits 700 feet below sea level, and then it's an additional 141 feet. So this is a deep lake, right? And, um, you know, we, we like to, uh, you know, to kind of wonder, like, well, what's at the bottom, you know? I think it's a significant detail, right? That, that Jesus, in his sovereignty over creation, didn't just summon the fish to come to the top, but he said, put out into the deep. I don't, I don't want to read too much in the text here, but based off of what the lesson is that we're going to take away from this, I believe that the depth is a, is a, is a portrayal and a picture of the extent to which God's call applies to our life, to the depths of in every fiber of our being, and to the uttermost parts of the world. All right? Verse 6 says this. It says, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and when they came, they filled both boats so that they began to sink. So with the effort that these professional fishermen, and I, I, I'll do air quotes for professional fishermen, they may have had other gigs or something, but they obviously weren't very good fishermen. But compared to their efforts, Jesus comes and he, he commands them to put their nets out into the depths, and then all of a sudden, the nets were breaking. Their boats were sinking because they couldn't take in this haul of fish. And you've got this frantic, chaotic scene of the fishermen trying to get them in the boats. You know, they want to preserve, man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, you know, this many, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting this much money per fish. So they're, they're thinking about, man, I, I want to take in as much as I can. But not Peter. If, if this scene were made into a movie scene, it would be like everything else goes silent and it dials in on this dialogue that happens between Peter and Jesus. Verse 8 says, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats in to land, they left everything and followed him. So even by the way that Luke refers to Simon Peter in this passage, this is the first time in the passage that he refers to him as Peter. We see this transformation. That at first he starts calling Jesus master or teacher. Obviously it's a sign of reverence. It's a sign that he's acquainted with who he is and the authority that he preaches with. And that people really like him. But after he sees the miracle that Jesus had done, he calls him Lord. There's a dramatic difference between those two things. So then he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I want you all to know, Jesus calls and commissions people who would acknowledge their unworthiness. All right? As much as I love Kanye West... After he uh, released the Jesus is King album, he said, the greatest artist who ever lived is now in service to Christ. <laughs> the audacity of that guy, right? Maybe, maybe Kanye will have some people in his life who will come alongside and humble him, right? I do think he's a great artist. The greatest artist of all time might be a stretch. 
But notice the stark contrast to what Peter says. He says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. I'm not worthy to even be in your presence, Jesus. And those are the type of people that Jesus is coming for. Jesus is coming for the people who are disengaged, who have their back turned. Jesus is coming for the people who, think, who don't think that they have it all together, to the people who lack confidence. Jesus wants to take what is weak so that he can demonstrate his strength. He wants to take the people who would acknowledge their unworthiness to say, no, you can find your worthiness in me. I'm enough for you. After Peter's acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord, he calls him to a life of devotion by discipling others. He says, you're going to catch men. And one of the um, most powerful stories of discipleship in my life is one of my best friends. His name is Lawrence. And um, when I was in college, I got involved in uh, a ministry called Magic City Woodworks. And I don't know if, if you guys have heard a whole lot about this ministry, know a whole lot about it, but Lawrence started out as a fireman, as we hear a fire truck outside. Lawrence, uh, he, he dropped out of community college, went to fire college, he said, you know what, I'm going to be the best fireman that I can be. And he went out to the West Coast, and he wanted to be an Orange County fireman. That is like, if you're a baseball player, you want to be the New York Yankees, um, being a, an Orange County fireman is like the top of the top of being a fireman. And guess what? It's not an inspiring ending to that. He didn't make the cut. So Lawrence came back. He lost his dad. He was in a very, very dark place. He started working at Hoover Fire Department, and wouldn't you know it, a coworker was faithful to share the gospel with him. And in the back of a fire station, in the middle of a normal work day, my friend Lawrence met Jesus. Immediately started to grow him uh, through the, 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 his coworker that was pouring into him. He noticed a disconnect in our city. He said, you know, there's a lot of cultural Christianity, but there's not a lot of people that are doing discipleship and making disciples. And I also see a lot of young men that are idle, a lot of young men who are looking to their work for their identity, and they're not finding it. And so he started discipling guys by teaching them woodworking. That was his, his trade that he did on his off days. And his coworker that led him to Christ let him start doing it in a one-car garage in Hoover. And then someone found out about him on the news, and they said, hey, I've got a 20,000-square-foot warehouse in downtown Birmingham. You can have it, 15-year lease, $1 per year. It was at that time that I met Lawrence, and I was about to start seminary. I didn't know where I was going to be serving at that time, and Lawrence said, hey, why don't you come work for me? And so me and him, were the, we were the first two Magic City Woodworks employees. Uh, we came up with this great vision. We came up with a discipleship plan that we're going to walk guys through. I got a piece of chalk, and we painted some chalkboard paint on the shop wall, and I wrote, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, Matthew 4. We were so excited for the first day of the apprenticeship. We had interviewed these guys. We invited them, and guess what? First day, nobody shows up. It was a gut punch, right? Like, man, we, we, we feel like we're obeying God. We feel like we're doing the right thing, and nobody wants to come. So, man, we get on our knees. We pray, God, would you send people? Would you send people? for us to pour into. And wouldn't you know, God answered that prayer. And we had five apprentices that first year, and what a sweet time of ministry. We watched, sorry, I'm getting choked up talking about it. One of our apprentices uh, was baptized that year. 
Um, we watch men come out of uh, incarceration uh, in, in really difficult home life situations, and uh, we saw God restore them through, uh, through the dignifying art of work. And we got to pour into them as we gave them job and life skills training. This ministry is, is still going on. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, we knew that we made it as a ministry when we were invited to be the partner with uh, Sanford University for Stepsing. You guys heard of Stepsing before? Yeah. So we were the philanthropy partner for Stepsing, and we had made it, all right? Um, if you want to learn more about their ministry, it's Manufacture Good uh, is, is what it's referred to now because uh, Lawrence has expanded way beyond woodworking. Uh, they do metalworking and uh, all kinds of different, uh, different uh, trades and crafts. And so um, just a phenomenal ministry right here in our backyard. Um, man, I, I, I love my brother Lawrence. And the thing to, to walk away from this, that story is, is not, you know, um, anything other than look at the ripple effect of what God can do when one person is faithful to share the gospel in their place of work. Look at the ripple effect and the disciples and the people and the city that can be impacted because one person was faithful to share the gospel at work. So I don't even, I don't even know who Lawrence's co-worker is. I don't, I don't, uh, I've never met him before. But thank God for him, and he, he, he may not even know um, the, uh, the, the impact and the ripple effect of his faithfulness of sharing the gospel. So I want to kind of camp out here for a second as we, as we make our way into the application of this passage. I want to go back to the story of me wading out into the creek, right? Some of you, some of you may be very prepared, right, for, for what life has in, in, in front of you. Maybe you've gotten all the right internships. Maybe you've been uh, networking with the right people. And you're like me and my chess waiters, right? You're ready to wade out into the current of what life has for you. Maybe uh, some of you uh, are, are like me in the next part of that story where you've fallen headfirst in the water. You're like uh, Buddy the Elf when he's headed to the shiny mailroom. You finally got there and you're like, smells like mushrooms and everyone looks like they want to hurt me. <laughs> right? I promise you, there will be setbacks. There will be toil. We have departed from the ideal, as we established earlier. Maybe some of you are several years into your career. Maybe you got passed over for a promotion. Maybe your boss is a jerk and makes your life miserable. Maybe things have not panned out the way that you want, and you're thinking about that alarm clock that you've already set that's going to go off in the morning, and you're not looking forward to that day at work. But there's this existential dread that is accompanying uh, what vocation looks like in your life. I want to offer a word of comfort to you. See, the, the, the Christian hope is so robust Right? The hope that Jesus is going to come back and make all things new isn't just something that we get to experience in the life beyond this, but something that we get glimpses of now. Right? That Jesus would make beauty out of ashes. That Jesus would take a broken situation and use you to make an impact on somebody. And maybe that boss that's a jerk to you needs to hear the gospel. Maybe they need to be shown what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus. 
Not in just a, I'm going to proclaim this, right? Praise God for that. But also in your demeanor, in your posture, in your work ethic. Right? You can use that as an expression of worship to God. As Colossians encouraged us, work as for the Lord and not for men. Right? God wants to use that situation to redeem it in the here and now, not just in the there and then. So what do we do, right? For the college student that's trying to discern God's will for your life, it's probably something that has accompanied your thought life a lot. As you study to prepare for what's next, maybe that, that strikes a lot of fear in you. And, and mind you, in this passage, right before Jesus tells Peter that he's going to make him a fisher of men, he says, do not be afraid. I don't think that's by accident. Do not be afraid is the most repeated command in Scripture. So if you don't hear anything else tonight, I want you to hear that. Do not be afraid. A lot of times we can err on the side of rigidity and fear when we think about the future, when we think about what God's calling is for our life, right? And so I want to offer kind of a, a word of comfort to you about applying God's wisdom to your life, all right? We can apply God's wisdom. He gives us freedom within parameters, freedom within parameters. My wife Caroline and I, we love to go ride mountain bikes out at Oak Mountain State Park, and they have these amazing trail maps, so like once you get into the park, you have limitless opportunities and all kinds of options about what you want to do on your ride that day, right? We have limitless freedom within the parameters of those mountain biking trails. And so the parameters I want to submit to you tonight for discerning God's will for your life are two things, and they're questions. The first one is, how will we commit to growing in devotion to Jesus in all aspects of our lives? The second one is, how will we be faithful in the places that we are and the people that we meet to make disciples? Overwhelmingly simple, right? I'm not trying to reduce a very complicated, uh, nuanced situation in your life into some pithy uh, sermon application, right? I, but I, I truly believe that if we focus on how do we become more committed followers of Jesus Christ and following the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and how are we saying to God, use me to make disciples of Jesus and the people around us? We're going to go into a time of silence that we call 120 seconds here at Oxana. I want to invite you to contemplate these two questions. Right? I want you to think about the life and ministry of Peter, someone who's just totally blindsided in a really frustrating day of work with an invitation to follow Jesus someone who abandons his net and commits his life to following after him. I want you to pray and ask God how you should respond. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. and We thank you for how, um, God, your, your word convicts us. Your word finds us where we are. God, that we can come to you in honesty, that we can come to you in transparency, because, God, you already know all things. You are sovereign over our lives. So, God, help us as we think about this huge issue in our lives of what we will do, what we will commit ourselves to, how you want to use our giftings and our calling. And, God, make it about you. Consecrate it in our lives. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.